if you're visiting with us this morning, I'd like to, to welcome you. It's a little different than we normally start a, a sermon off, but um, I'd like to welcome you in uh, to Redwood. We're in the middle of a series uh, called He Is, where we're looking at, at seven statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. And each one of these statements that he makes, he starts off by saying, I am, and then he fills in the blank. And each one was, was a fulfillment of an expectation that the Israelites had on their Messiah. And Jesus is answering it in a way that they didn't expect. He's answering it to say, I'm this and more. I'm more than you expected. I'm more than you even realize that you need. Uh, if, you're, if you're married, you might understand this with your spouse a little bit, how sometimes you fulfill a need in the other person's life they don't realize they have. And vice versa, your wife or your husband fulfills a need sometimes that you don't realize you even had until you look back and realize it's been taken care of. It's been filled. I'd like to welcome you here, though, as, as, as we continue this series on today. We're in the fifth statement. And if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 11 uh, t- today. Very famous passage of Scripture, very famous story. A lot of people outside of the Bible, outside of the church, are very familiar with. I'm not going to read this whole story today in, in John 11. I'd encourage you to read it over the course of this week. But this is the story of Lazarus, where Lazarus dies and Jesus comes to bring him back to life. So spoiler alert, Lazarus comes back to life. Okay. But as we kind of set the stage on this story, just kind of, kind of explain what's happening here as we get into this today. Uh, Lazarus is a friend of Jesus, and the Bible doesn't say how old he is. I'm just going to totally throw a shot in the dark here and say he's probably a similar age. So he's probably around my age. He's probably early to mid-30s. He's not a very old guy, but he's been a close friend of Jesus along with his sister Mary and his sister Martha. They've been close friends of Jesus uh, for, for a long time. And Lazarus gets sick, and it's terminal. And, and he's going to die. And so his sister sends uh, a message for Jesus. He's up in Galilee. They're in Bethany, which is right outside of Jerusalem. Uh, they send a message for Jesus that he could come down and try to help. They know that Jesus can heal people. And so that's what they're thinking. He's going to come down and he's going to step in and take care uh, of our brother Lazarus. And the text is very clear. Jesus doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't get in a hurry. In fact, it says very clearly, he waited two extra days before he took off. I mean, this guy's on his deathbed. It's, you know, he, he, they need to, he needs to be there now, but Jesus takes his time. And this is a very relatable story. See, often I think we read this story and we get caught up in the miracle, and, and we shouldn't lose sight of the miracle. Jesus brings somebody back from, from the dead. That's very, very important. But it's very easy for us to relate to this, because in this story, we are Mary and we are Martha, more than we're Lazarus. See, how often have you asked Jesus for something and he hasn't responded the minute you wanted him to respond? He hasn't answered in the way you want him to respond. And you may think, well, this is a pretty reasonable ask, Jesus. I'm not asking you to make me a millionaire. I'm not asking for a new car. I'm not a- this is a pretty reasonable ask. And he doesn't respond like you do. See, like any good parent, God knows the difference in wants and needs. And sometimes we, I think, think we know the difference in wants and needs, but we really don't. My wife's really good at keeping me in, in balance with this. Uh, for example, I need my allergy medication, okay? Uh, we spent last week in Arizona. Uh, Arizona's where people go to get away from allergies, okay? We lived there a couple years ago, and, and I never had a problem. It made up for lost time last week. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a bad deal. So, I need my allergy medication. I think I need a new TV for my living room. My wife tells me that's a want. I'm not sure, but you kind of see the difference, right? Wants and needs. We, we have wants, we have needs, and sometimes we think it's really a need, and God probably sees it as a want. Parents, you can relate. Your kids, they need things. 
My oldest, Elsie, she's five. She's in kindergarten. Needs a cell phone, she tells me every day. Dad, when am I going to get my own cell phone? I was like, not when you're five. Stop asking. Uh, she wants one, right? And, and, and like any, any good dad, kind of like God is with us, I'm not above giving my kids what they want. I like giving my kids what they want, but it needs to fit. It needs to fit the timing. It needs to fit timing. It needs to fit purpose. Sometimes they need to learn some things first. Sometimes they need to go through some things first. Sometimes I was just kind of too lazy to get off the couch, to be very honest with you. Amelie wants ice cream or a popsicle or a cupcake, usually at about 5.30, and we're eating dinner at 6. That's a timing issue, right? No, you can wait. It's not that I don't want to give that to you, but you can wait till after dinner. I think God's very, very similar. He says, Dad, I don't answer yes immediately all the time. And I think God is very similar. Again, in this story, this is a pretty urgent need. I mean, of, of all the needs you could have, this, he's about to die. It's, it's a pretty important need, pretty urgent need, and yet here is Jesus not getting in a hurry. In fact, in verse 17, it says when Jesus finally shows up, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's been in the tomb for four days. We read that, and I think it's easier to say, well, he's been gone you know, it's just, it's just, just showing that, that, that he's already been dead for a while. There's a significance in that four days. See, to the Jews, when somebody died, for the first three days, their spirit hadn't left their body yet. Their soul hadn't left their body yet. It was still kind of hovering right there. And if anybody was ever brought back to life, it was in that first three-day window. But on the fourth day, the soul left. Their spirit left, and their body, what was left of it, started to decay. So they were really, truly dead at that point. And he's been in the tomb so long, as you read down through the story, uh, when, when Jesus says to move the stone away, they say, don't go in there, Jesus, it stinks, he's been dead for so long. Or the King James, if you really want get, to get poetic, he stinketh, that's what it said. <laughs> Best verse in the Bible, he stinketh. <laughs> but he's been dead, and I think this is, a, I think this is the reason Jesus waited. Because they want him to come to, to fix something, to stop something from happening. He shows up after it's happened to show who he is. They want him to come to save a life. He's coming to bring life. But they don't, they don't understand that. They couldn't possibly understand that. And they're upset with Jesus when he gets there. And if the story sounds familiar, it's probably because you have lived it, or maybe you are living it right now. I've lived it. I, I've been there. I've prayed. I said, God, this isn't a want. This is a need. I need this in my life. I need you to step in and keep this from happening. And he hasn't. Maybe you've been there too. Maybe, maybe you're there right now. Right now you're struggling with something physically. You've got a, an ailment. You've got a sickness. And, and they can't pinpoint it. They can't fix it. And even if they have pinpointed it, you're still suffering. You're still in pain. You're still in discomfort. Or you're taking a laundry list of, of medicines to try and fix it. Maybe for you it's, it's, it's an emotional hurt. Man, you've got some, some family issues and they've cut so deep that it's going to leave a scar. It's a squabble with a, a parent or, or, or a sibling or, or, or a son or a daughter. And you've said things and they've said things and it's to the point where you can't fix it anymore. Or, or maybe you're, you're in a bad spot spiritually. You've pushed God away. You've walked away from God and, and now you've never felt more apart from him. And you don't know how to get back there and you just feel lost, or, or maybe you're just in a bad spot personally, and you're bringing so much baggage in here today because you have done so many bad things to so many people that you think, there's no way God could love me. There's no way he could forgive me for this anymore because you know in your heart you can't love or forgive somebody who's done those things to you. 
Maybe you fall into one of those categories. Maybe it's something different. I think all of us have probably hit those a little bit to some degree. But here's the thing. If that's you today, if you can relate to one of those today, it's okay. Because you're right where God needs you to be. This is a truth. It's an unpleasant truth. But here's the truth. God can use our worst situations for his glory. Now, that's something I really wish I didn't have to talk about. I wish we didn't have worse situations. I wish we didn't find ourselves in these. And this is such a hard thing to understand. Such a hard thing to grasp and wrap our minds around because none of us want bad situations. None of us want those worst situations. We want the good times. And sometimes I think when we start walking with God, we're never going to have problems, and that's not the case. We do. But see, here's the thing with God is, is it's easy to assume when we find ourselves in one of these rock-bottom instances. We find ourselves... With, with death, like here in the story. It's easy to feel like God has turned away. It's easy to feel like God doesn't love you anymore or he doesn't care about you anymore and he's just cool with you hanging out in this situation. And that's not the case. That's not the case. That's not how it is. When you find yourself kind of questioning God's motives or, or questioning the, 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 these, these times that you feel like you're lost, that's when God is, is just kind of opening his arms saying, I'm right here. Come lean into me a little bit more. You've tried figuring this out on your own, but I'm right here. Again, go back to parenting. I don't know how many times I watch my kids get themselves into trouble. And I'm one of those dads, I don't know, maybe I've got problems, I don't know. I know I've got problems, I should rephrase that. But I'm one of these dads that when I see my kids about to get in trouble, you know what I do? I hope this isn't going to hurt too bad. Because they gotta learn, right? But you know what I do as soon as they get themselves in trouble? Come here. I'm right here. I'm right here for you. All you've gotta do is turn around and I'm right here. That's how I approach my kids. And I'm not, I don't know if I'm a good dad or not, probably somewhere mediocre, but God is such an amazing father. He knows what we need. He knows what we want. He knows how to pull us out of situations. And anytime I know I catch myself in trouble, I'm embarrassed to turn around because I know God's right there. I know he's right there reaching his hand out saying, I've been right here the whole time. I know what you did. I saw you. I love you. I don't want to see you go through this, but I'm right here anyway. Jesus, in these moments, he wants to show us that he is so much greater than the situation we find ourselves in. He's a better solution. He's greater than death. He's greater than hardships. He's greater than our struggles. He's greater than our failures. He is greater than all of it. And in the midst of this story with Lazarus, in the midst of him coming and seeing his friend that he's had his entire life, this man that he loved, this, these two women that he loved, I know his heart breaks, but he's also about to show who he really is. Jesus is greater than death. It's that simple. And that's what he's going to show here in this text. Verse 21, we see, see Jesus has arrived in Bethany. Martha, in verse 20, has run out to meet him. In verse 21, Martha reacts just like so many of us have reacted in the past and will continue to react in the past. She says to, to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, how many times have we been there? God, if you would have just stepped in, this wouldn't have happened to me. 
If you would have just answered this prayer when I asked it, this wouldn't have happened. This relationship would still be strong. He would still be alive. He would still be with me. That's what Martha says to Jesus. See, what she doesn't get, though, is she's talking to Jesus. She knows he's a healer. I think she might even believe he's the Messiah, but she doesn't know this is God. She's missing that. She's staring right into his eyes, right into his face, and she misses that. And it's so easy for us in our lives to have you in the same situation. Jesus is standing right there, and we're looking at him the wrong way. We're looking at him in the wrong perspective, and we don't get it. We don't understand because he's not answering our request the way we want it answered. He's not giving us what we want, when we want, how we want. Often he's giving us something better. We just don't realize it. Remember last week we talked about, or a couple weeks ago we talked about the gate and when that door opens, you're stepping into a room and it might be dark, but it's faith that lets you step into that room. It's faith that lets you go further. Jesus is staying here. You may not know what's coming, You may not know what I'm about to give you, but it's not what you expect. It's going to be a lot lot greater. It's going to be a lot better. God doesn't answer in the way we want, and I think often it's because we try to humanize God. Now, don't get me wrong. The Gospels are all about Jesus becoming a human, God becoming flesh, God putting on our flesh, and in so putting on our limitations. We know about this. Jesus got tired. He got uh, hungry. He got his heart broken. He got upset. He got angry. We know those. We know that from reading the Gospels. Jesus was very much a human, but in this moment, Jesus is God, and Martha's looking at him just like a human, and this guy that she's known that can lay hands on people and, and, and heal them is the same person who spoke the world into existence. And she doesn't get that. She doesn't get that. We might be the same way. We're calling on Jesus to help us out. Do you realize who you're talking to? Do you realize that you're talking to somebody? John chapter one says that that through him everything was made and nothing has ever been made except through him. And John one verse four says, in him was life. Again, Jesus didn't come here to save a life. He came to bring life. And Martha can't see it because she is just wrapped up in her own situation, in her own world. And this is exactly where we can find ourselves. We are so caught up in what we can, can tangibly relate to, what we can touch, see, smell, uh, taste, and hear. We get so caught up in all of that, that's exactly where she is. The Old Testament, the Israelites uh, get, get pulled from their homeland and get sent to Babylon, the most godless society that has ever existed. And they're forced to worship pagan gods. They're forced out of everything they know and everything they believe. They're forced into something completely different. And in the midst of this, there's just this, this despair, this discouragement, this hopelessness. In the midst of all of that, not being able to see past their current situation in life, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah. And he gives what's often one of the most misused but most, most famous verses in all of Scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a what? A hope and a future. These people had no hope. They had no future. I, I can imagine when, when Jeremiah reads this from God, they probably just laughed. Really? Prosper? We're like third-class citizens here. You think we're going to prosper? We have nothing. We are no one. We have nothing. We have no hope and no future. But look what God says there. I know the plans that I have for you. This is really personalized. 
God's not saying, I know you have some plans and they might work out, and if they do, you'll prosper. That's not what he's saying. No, I know the plans I have for you. That's what God's saying to us. And again, these people had no hope, no future. But in God, they did. They're stuck behind their own situations. They're stuck with what they can see themselves. And here's kind of where this all boils up. Here's kind of the the, the big thought from all of this today. Whatever you think about Jesus, you're underestimating him. Whatever your opinion is of Jesus, you're underestimating him. You might call him God. You might call him Lord. You're underestimating him. Anything that you can wrap your mind around is only scratching the surface of who he really is. You could have every PhD in the world in theology and in the Bible, and you're not even beginning to wrap your mind around who Jesus really is. He is life. He's the resurrection. Whatever you think about him, you're underestimating him, and he can make a difference in your life right now. He can step in and impact your life right now in ways you can't even fathom. And you may be going, I've already got it pretty good. God's blessed me. Man, God's blessed me with a great family and and I've had a great life. Man, everything is just, everything, he can go even better. It can always get better when Jesus is involved. And here's the thing, it's probably not gonna look how you expect. It's probably not gonna turn out how you wanted. But if you trust him, it can turn out even greater. Again, go back to the kids. Elsie's uh, five, she's in kindergarten. She's getting her kindergarten year wrapped up. And she's just starting to get to the age where she says, when I grow up, I want to be, and then she fills in the blank. And you know, five-year-olds, it's basic, right? Like little boys, I want to be a fireman, I want to be an astronaut. Uh, Elsie's, it's it's random, it's different every time. Uh, Yesterday, she comes up and she goes, when I grow up, I want to be a mom. (laughs) And then she said something that was just terrifying. She goes, and I'm never leaving this house. Like, yeah, that ain't happening, kid. <laughs> she goes, I'm going to live with you guys forever. Like, yeah. and no, no, you're five. You got, you got uh, 13 more years. I told you I was only a mediocre dad. I mean, come on. <laughs> but here's the thing. As she grows up, that's going to change, right? I want to be that. That, that blank's going to change. And when she's a teenager, I don't know what it's going to be. When she's in college, I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be, you know, kind of one of those, those stereotypical things. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. Uh, maybe I want to be a politician. Maybe she wants to go into ministry. I don't know. But here's the thing. I can promise you whatever she wants for herself, it's nowhere close to what I want for her. And that's not to say I'm going to pile unrealistic expectations on her. Because I don't care what kind of status she has. I don't care what kind of money she makes. Same goes for Amelie. Same goes uh, for, for the little guy that's joining us here in a few weeks. I don't care about that. Here's what I want for them. I want them to make a difference in the world. I want them to impact people in a way I can't even consider. To, to, to be greater at everything that, that I think I'm good at, I want them to be even greater at. I don't care if they have my, my bad habits. Parents, you understand that. But everything that, that's a good habit of mine, I want them to have it times 10. I want their faith to be better than mine. I want their walk with with Jesus to be better than mine. Everything that they could want for themselves, I want it tenfold. And again, if I'm a so-so dad, God is is an amazing father. So anything that we could possibly want, he wants for us even greater. But here's the thing, we often limit ourselves based on our own understanding of who Jesus is. Because we put him in our lives. We put him in our culture. 
And when we humanize him too much, we lose sight of the fact that he is God. We start trusting our timing and our will because we can control those things. We can control when we make appointments with people. We can control where we're going next. But we have to put ourselves into his will and it's to his timing. We have to understand that God is greater, but when we approach him on his terms, seeking his will for our lives, we can also approach him with bold expectations. Uh, look, look at the next verse here. Uh, Martha has, has told Jesus that she wished he would have been here. Verse 22, she says, but even now I know that wherever or whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Interesting word here for, for the word ask. In the Greek, this kind of refers to somebody at the lowest social status reaching up to somebody at the highest social status. So imagine as inferior as you can get to as, as, as superior as you can get. Mary or Martha is, is giving that kind of ask to God. And Jesus is going to give a response later in this passage. He says, no, when you ask, act like you're on the same page. You're, you're equals. Now, he's not saying, again, that, that you're, you're on plane with God. He's not saying that. And he's not saying you shouldn't approach God with a degree of reverence. But what he's saying is when you ask God for something, act like you're asking your best friend for something. Ask like you're asking your brother or your sister for something. Approach that with courage and boldness. I'll ask my brother for stuff. I won't ask anybody else. I'll I'll ask my my dad for stuff. I won't ask anybody else because I've got that courage and that boldness to do that. That's how we're supposed to approach God. We approach him with that very boldness. But you also have to realize he is God. Martha wants a healer. Jesus has come and he's got life in his hands. He has come to, to, to show that I am the creator of the world. I'm the source of life. And Martha sort of gets that. She sort of understands that. We sort of get that. We sort of understand that. Here's what I mean by that as Christians, as followers. If if you're a follower of Jesus, we believe that once we die, we're going to be in heaven with Christ. And we'll be there until he returns. And I don't know how that's all going to look, but we're going to be with Christ, okay? We're going to be with him forever. But nobody looks forward to death. Earthly death is scary. Earthly death is something we don't want any part of. If you don't believe me, next time you're sick, quit taking medicine. Don't go to the doctor. We go to the doctor, right? We try to get better. We want to feel better. We want to prolong our life as long as we possibly can, even though we know what's waiting the minute we take our last breath. But see, with, that, that, that's kind of where Martha is, is here. Earthly death is scary because we put our limits on God, our human limits on God. We need to understand Jesus is greater than death because Jesus is life. Again, this is exactly what Martha is doing here. Look at this passage as it continues. Verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Again, very human thought. That's what we would believe as Christians. We'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus here is, is, I just picture Jesus getting like, just really fired up here. Okay, Jesus got frustrated. He got angry. We know this. And and so far, he's given four of these I am statements. And this one, I think, is the most powerful. This one, of all the ones that, that, if you could have picked one to go see, I would love to see this one. Because I just picture Jesus just about to lose it. And later in this passage, he does. 
It says that he weeps and he cries. And I don't think he cries over the death of his friend because like five seconds later, this guy's gonna be alive again. Jesus knows what's about to happen. I don't think that's why he's crying. I think he's crying because the frustration has built up that these people are with me every single day and they see what I can do and they still don't get it. They still don't understand that I am God. And Martha says to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And I just picture Jesus grabbing her by the shoulders and shaking her, looking at her. I say, no, I am the resurrection. You're waiting for it. I'm right here. It's right here in front of you. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Again, you pull that verse out. You you throw the rest of the Bible away and you just pull out that last part of that verse. That makes no sense at all, right? Well, if you die, how can you live? It makes no sense. But Jesus is saying, I don't make sense because I don't appeal to your level of understanding. I am so far above it. I am so far beyond it because I am God. And that's what he's trying to get across to Martha that day. That's what he's trying to get across to us today still, that he can defeat death, that he will defeat death, and we know later in the Gospels he does defeat death. And Jesus did that because of his love for us. He created us, he loves us, and he loved us so much that he went to the cross for us and he took a humiliating death for us. And then he went to the grave, and two days later, he walked out of that grave. And in that moment that he walked out of that grave, resurrection became reality. And life came to the earth. And when that happened, when that resurrection happened, everything changed. Everything changed. The early church grew strictly on the message of the resurrection. Read the book of Acts. Every sermon they're preaching is on the resurrection because it was so radical. And the crazy thing is it, it actually happened. But here's where it changed people, specifically in in, in two, two big areas where the resurrection really makes a difference. Number one, it changes people. Look at Peter. Just in the span of, of, of seven weeks, Peter goes from this guy in Luke 22 who doesn't even want to be associated with Jesus. The night before he's killed, he, he's on trial at the house of Caiaphas, and Peter's standing right outside, and three times somebody comes up to him and goes, I know you. You're with him. You're with him. And Peter, I'm not. I'm not. I have never met that fool in my life. I'm not, I've never even heard of Galilee. I'm not from there. Three times. And then he runs off, embarrassed and scared. And now seven weeks later, two months later, He's standing up on the day the church launches and he's preaching a sermon and he stares down the very same people that probably questioned him that night and going, hey, you know Jesus, the guy that you killed? Yeah, yeah, he's alive. Yeah, he's alive. He beat death, he he didn't win. And then a couple weeks later, Acts chapter four, those same people lock him up for for preaching Jesus' name and say, you can't do that anymore. And Peter's basically like, come on, come at me. And then you know what, I, what he does? He goes back with the other, other apostles and with the rest of the church, and they pray. And you know what they pray for? It's not, hey, God, make my enemies go away. It's, no, give me boldness to stare down the barrel of that gun. And if the church prayed like that today, whew, we pray a lot for our enemies to go away. What if we prayed for the courage to just stare them straight down? 
That's Peter, and he changed because of the resurrection. The woman at the well, John chapter 4, she's caught up in sin. Jesus comes in and just messes her up. She's just all over the place spiritually. She's all over the place in her life of sin, and when she has her encounter with the resurrection, with the life, man, she leaves on fire. Nicodemus is a guy who's a Pharisee, a part of that ruling council, guy who has a lot of problems with Jesus, and he comes to him to ask him some questions, and I don't know his motives, but John chapter 3, he comes, and it's to Nicodemus that, that Jesus gives the famous passage in John three sixteen. But he comes from coming at night under the cover of darkness in secret to at the end of John, he's one of the two guys that pulls Jesus' body off the cross and wraps him up and puts him in the tomb. The resurrection changes people. But it also gives us hope. And it gives us a future. Like God told the prophet Jeremiah. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. That's comforting. (laughs) Verse 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. Here's kind of what this boils down to. I, I'm only going to speak for myself here. I'm not going to speak for anybody else in this room. I'm not speaking for our elders, our staff, or anything. I believe what this says about the resurrection, that Jesus really died, that Jesus went to the tomb, and that he really rose from the dead, and that he really ascended into heaven. And here's my thought on this. I would rather be wrong about it from this side than the other side. I would rather die one day and look back and go, oh, I guess it wasn't all true, than to wake up and go, oh, it really was true. That's just me. I can't speak for you all. But I know this. I know that because it's true, I have the hope that's talked about in Revelation, that Jesus is going to come back and we're going to live with him forever. We will share in his resurrection and we will reign with him forever. That's the resurrection and the life. That's what Jesus means when he says that. It impacted them in this day. And yes, as the story goes on, he walks up and commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb, and Lazarus does. But here's the thing. Jesus impacts us today, and he impacts us tomorrow and forever. But whatever you think about Jesus... Whatever your your, your mental capacity is for understanding Jesus, you are underestimating him because he is capable of so much more than we can possibly understand. And he wants to impact your life today and into the future. I don't know where you're at today. When you came into this room today, I don't know what you brought with you. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're caught up in sin. Maybe you're like this woman in, 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 in John 4, this woman at the well. She knows who Jesus is. She's heard about him. She's caught up in sin. Maybe you're, you're stuck in your greed. You're like one of the tax collectors. You're just stuck. You're a greedy person. You're greedy with your time, with your resources. Maybe, maybe you're sunk in depression. I mean, that is one of the worst places to be because there is no easy way out. But that's you, you're just buried by it. Maybe, maybe you're just, just completely suffocated by hopelessness today. And I don't know what the reason is, but you're just suffocated by all of it. 
There are so many more things I could list, but any one of these situations can seem way too much to bear. And on your own, it is. It's way too much to bear. You may feel like God's not listening or he's turned away or he's just letting you get yourself into trouble. You may feel like any of those. Remember to trust him. Even when that room is dark, even when you don't know what you're about to step into, remember to trust him. He invites you to, he's right there. He's saying, I've been right here all along. Even in your worst situations in life, God's right there. And he's ready to show you who he really is. He let his best friend die so he could show him who he really was. Think about that. God is so much greater than you can imagine. And because of that, he can offer so much more than you can possibly imagine. Jesus brings death, or see, he defeated death, he brings life. So let go of what you can understand. Let go of this world around you. Lean into him. That's what surrender is all about. Let's pray. Father, we are, God, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that he is the author of life. He's the author of faith. God, we are so thankful that he, that he is the resurrection. God, I don't, I don't know where everybody in this room is today. I don't know if they are looking right at you, if they've turned away and are looking another direction. I don't know where their, their walk with you has brought them, where their, their latest step has taken them. But God, I just want to ask, if, if they're not looking at you, God, that you would just kind of reach out and tap them on the shoulder. Just say, hey, I'm, I'm still right here. Because God, I know I, I need that sometimes. I get so caught up that I just need you to just kind of whisper, I'm still here. I'm here when you need me. And I love you. So God, wherever we find ourselves, if it's, if it's a physical illness, if it's, if it's depression, if it's sin, if it's greed, if it's hopelessness, whatever it may be, God, you just reach your hand out and say, I'm right here. I love you and I'm ready for you and I'm waiting for you. And whatever that next step is that needs to be taken, God, you would help us get there closer to you. God, I'm so thankful that Jesus not only came to bring life, but he came to bring it to the full. God, that, that he is our, our shepherd, our protector, he's our, our gate. God, that he's our bread of life and he's our light, but God, that he is life. So God, I just pray for this room today. Wherever we are, you would continue to speak life into each one of us. And God, that we would have open ears. God, that we would have receptive hearts for it. God, we love you so much, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.